I want to welcome you today to the kickoff of our Relationship Rehab Message Series. We are so glad that you decided to join us. I want to ask you a little question to get us started. Has there ever been a problem in your life, something, some situation, that no matter how hard you tried to fix it, there was no simple or easy way through it? I think about like when my wife Stacy and I first got married and we realized that we were $20,000 in debt and we had gone through all these financial classes and we had talked about and heard about how you can build an emergency fund and we wanted to be able to snap our fingers and for it to all be over, the debt to be gone and to have $15,000 in an emergency fund and it just didn't go that quickly. Or maybe you've experienced this before where you look in a mirror and you're like, ah, that's not really what I wanted to see. I know I need to lose a few pounds. And you want to be able to pop the pill the next day, step on the scale. It's the exact weight that you want. Six pack in your abs, looking like Fabio on the cover of GQ magazine. Now, it doesn't work that way, does it? There's a process that we can go through which leads to rehabilitation, maybe even it's an addiction that you've had in your life and you've tried over and over again to overcome that addiction, but it seems like it just doesn't go as fast or as quickly as we want it to go. But we can identify within each of these components of our lives this process that leads to healing. It's just a lot of work. It's just hard. It takes a long time. That's why we have things like liposuction surgery and credit card debt, because we want the easy way out. We don't want to have to do work to get through it. But what we're going to identify with this relationship rehab series is that relationships are much like all these other areas of our lives that get out of alignment. And depending on how long that area of our lives has been out of alignment will depend on how long it takes to get it back into shape. And through this series, we're going to talk about five steps in a rehabilitation process of relationships, which are all biblical steps. This first week, we're going to talk about putting others first. Next week, we're going to talk about clearing it up, dealing with our past. The third week, we're going to talk about rebuilding trust. The fourth week, we're going to address having fun together. And then the fifth week, we're going to discuss what it means to strengthen the boundaries in our relationships. And this series is not just for marriage. It's not just for dating. It's for every type of relationship, from friendship to marriage to relationships between parents and kids and kids and parents and grandparents and coworkers. The components, the truths, the principles that we will address in this series will spill over into every relationship in our lives. And what I want to do this first week is I want to lay a new foundation. I want to go to the core of the problem for all relationships in our lives. And we don't have to look very far to realize that we live in a broken world that there are broken marriages, broken communities, ultimately broken relationships. And when we see these problems, there are a lot of different things that we can do to blame or depend the problem, right? It's always easier to look at somebody else and to say, you're the one that causes problem, or to blame it on our parents or previous generations, or to blame it on society. But what we're going to discover today as we look at the scriptures, and even as we look at several key truths, that there is a core of the problem that exists inside of every single human being. There is a root that influences every relationship in our life, and here's the root. It's the root of selfishness. 
It's that innate propensity in each of us to put our goals and our interest above the goals and interest of others. We're born into the world this way. If you don't believe me, have a couple of kids and you'll change your mind. In fact, I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old, and it never ceases to amaze me how my two boys can have dozens of toys, books, games, electronics that they can play with, but they find that one toy that they both want, and somehow this eruption happens in our homes. I, I thought it would be funny sometime if there was ever a fight over my two kids crying because they both wanted to be selfless over a toy. Like, no, you take it. No, you take it. It's always me, 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 my, 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 I, 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 that causes it to erupt. And we can mitigate the problem. Like, we have mitigated our boys fighting over cartoons. Who gets to choose Netflix, which are horrible anyways, but why would you want to watch Netflix? There's barely anything on it. But for kids, you know, they still got Diego and some cool stuff on there. So one boy gets Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. The other boy gets Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. And then on Sunday, mom and dad rotate and choose which one we watch. But we can mitigate the problem relationally, but until that root is taken out, there's going to continue to be these eruptions. And here's why this is so important for us as we start this series to approach it with the proper lens that we could try all of these things to rebuild the walls of relationships in our lives. We could learn how to communicate, how to make eye contact, what tone of voice to use. We could build the walls in the proverbial rooftop of our house. And if the foundation is not laid appropriately, then it's all going to come crumbling down. And today, this message is all about laying the foundation for the rest of our series with taking out the root and putting in a new paradigm and moving, very simply, if we can say, from selfishness to moving towards selflessness. And we're going to unpack what that looks like. If you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 12, and we're going to see a story where Jesus, in a very peculiar way, frames the mind of several of his disciples of how they are to look at their lives. John chapter 12, starting in verse number 20, as we talk about going from selfishness to selflessness. Listen to what the scripture says. Now there were some Greeks among them who went up to worship at the feast. It sounds like my big fat Greek wedding all over again. And the scripture says in verse number 21, then they came to Philip. With a request. Now, Philip is one of Jesus' disciples. This is nearing the end of Jesus' physical ministry here on planet Earth. He's been here for about 33 years at this point. He's healed many people. He's taught large groups of people. And in this one particular story, the scripture says that there's this Greek man who is not supposed to associate with Jews. There's supposed to be this level of separation between them. He's going up to the feast. He comes to Philip with this specific request. They went to him and said, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Okay, that's kind of a weird request. He's been healing and performing miracles. No, we, like, we want to get up close. We want to see the color of his beard. We want to be so close that we can say we were near him. We were with him. And then in the story, Scripture says, Philip then went to tell Andrew. And then Andrew and Philip together concocted a strategy that they would go to Jesus and try to see if Jesus would let 
this Greek man come and be in his presence, which the story is just kind of an odd context. I mean, here's a Greek wanting to see Jesus. Peter and Philip, or excuse me, Philip and Andrew go over to Jesus to ask if this guy can come into Jesus's presence. Now, Jesus then launches on this monologue that has nothing to do with seeing the Greek guy. Watch what he says. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Okay? I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat... Now, think about the context. They're asking if the Greek can come. Unless the kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. I'm asking you, Jesus, if a Greek guy can come and shake your hand and you're talking about seeds and wheat and farming and you being glorified. And if that's not enough, he just keeps going. He says, the man who loves his life in this world will hate, excuse me, the man who loves his life will lose it while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now he flips it and starts talking about the way we're supposed to live and whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. And then he says, and now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, or no. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I read the Bible and I get a little bit confused. I mean, think about it. Drill down a little bit more. Greek guy wanting to see Jesus. Philip and Andrew come in. Jesus goes on to the kernel of wheat and loving your life and losing your life and son of man being glorified. And See, when we look at this passage, we see it with a totally different lens than what is going on. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus is saying that, that what they're concerned about is this man's selfish request to be in the presence of Jesus to shake his hand so he can say he was with Jesus. But Jesus launches into this monologue that explains the very purpose behind why he came to planet Earth. I didn't come here to shake hands. He says, I didn't merely come here to perform miracles. He says, I'm not even here just to teach large groups of people. He says, this is the very specific purpose and intent behind why I would leave heaven to come to planet earth for 33 years so that I might be glorified. And the glorification that he talks about is not him being seated on a throne so that people can come up and place gold at his feet. The glorification that he's talking about is the death that is impending for him that he will be nailed to a tree with nails in his hands and feet and blood spilling down his body as a payment for the sins of the world so that all of humanity could be bridged back into relationship with God. That this is the very reason, this is the specific purpose and intent behind why he would come 
and live among us. And he says, you're here. What you're concerned about is something that is totally beyond what I'm thinking about. That what I'm thinking about is the fact that I'm here to restore God back to his people. My father back into relationship with broken, selfish, distorted, arrogant, prideful humanity. So that all of humanity, every nation, tribe, and tongue can know their creator. That's why I'm here. Now, what does that have to do with relationships? I mean, relationship rehab, come on, you give me a little bit something more specific and tangible than that. Here's the deal. Jesus is not just making a prophetic statement, but he also tucks in the middle of this statement where he says, whoever loves his life will lose it. And whoever hates his life will gain it for eternal life. That not only is he coming to bridge the gap between humanity and God, but he says this same way of life that, that I am embodying to you to the point of death on a cross is the same way of life that I'm asking those of you who will follow me. You, you must be where I am. If he serves me, he must follow me. He must be near to me. That the same way of life of my death on a cross is the model of the way a follower of Christ is to live, that he or she would lay down his or her rights in order to serve, in order to sacrifice so that God could be restored to humanity and ultimately so that we could be restored restored to one another, that there is this new way of life that's not just about shaking Jesus's hand and getting as close as you can to him, but it's this new way of life that we would lay down our selfishness, our arrogance, our pride, our goals, our interest, so that as Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat goes into the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it goes into the ground and dies, it produces a great harvest. This is the life that God desires for everyone who follows him to live, that we would lay down our goals and our interests, and out of it, there would be this harvest. Now, I understand it's still a little bit nebulous, and that's why I still have 18 minutes to unpack for you what I'm saying. I think about it like this. My wife, Stacy, and I just started doing some gardening. And I probably should say my wife started doing gardening because I really don't do much. I just cheer and tell her things look good when they look good and then don't say anything when they look bad. And so she started this process a few months ago. And I'll let you ask her if it's been successful. But what we've noticed is that there are several different types of plants in our backyard. There are those plants that are dead which it hasn't gone so well. In fact, we have probably about a half a dozen of them at a place we call death row in our backyard. We just put them all there. There are other plants that are dying. Uh, There are some that are growing. And then there are some that are in full bloom. The same way that relationships in our lives, some are dead, some are dying, some are kind of growing, some are in full bloom. And what we've noticed is there is a process that these plants need to go upon with revitalization in order to nurse them back to health. And there are some things that we can do to kill those plants as well. Like my son 
Sammy, who's four years old, standing over a plant with a water hose for 10 minutes just doesn't really seem to bring it to fruitfulness. And, and so here's, here's what I want you to hear. The same is true relationally. That there are some things we can do to bring death to relationships, and there are some things that we can do to bring life to relationships. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write down this one truth. Death to self is the beginning of revival in broken relationships. Death to self is the beginning of revival in broken relationships. And the flip side of this is also true. Selfishness is the quickest way to kill any relationship in our lives. Selflessness, death to self, brings revitalization. Selfishness begins the erosion process of relationships. So I, I thought about it like this. I lived in Texas for five years while I was going to grad school. As I mentioned earlier, uh, my wife and I were there going to grad school, and we, were, we bought a house, and we realized that you can't grow much in Texas aside from crabgrass and cement. And so we had all this crabgrass that was spreading all across our front yard. So I bought some weed and grass killer. And what I noticed is when you spray the weeds with the weed and grass killer, not only does it kill the weeds, but it kills everything else that it touches. And so we had this front yard with all this crabgrass. I went out there. I probably used a couple of bottles on it. And then I had this big yard with all these yellow patches over it. It looked like somebody had just gone crazy and lost their mind and it killed everything. The same is true with our selfishness. That just like weed and grass killer, that every time it's sprayed onto anything that has life, it begins the erosion process. The same is true with our selfishness. That every time selfishness is sowed into a relationship, it begins the erosion or the death process of that relationship. And I can think of many moments like this in my life. My wife Stacy and I, somehow we've emerged on this new tradition in our, on our date nights where we like to go to Cheesecake Factory after we go out to eat because no other dessert compares with Cheesecake Factory. Can I get an amen? And so initially, she would choose a piece of cheesecake and I would choose a piece and we'd share them. Like she gets some, I get some. Well, somehow we've been kind of inching towards this. She gets to choose both pieces. And so one time we're at Cheesecake Factory and we're in this conversation in front of the big, the big you know, case of all the cheesecakes and trying to decide and somehow conversation just went south. You ever have those conversations you're like trying to bring it back in as quick as you can, but it's whatever you're saying is just like digging you in worse and worse and worse. Anybody else have those conversations or just me? And my words get harsh, which results in tears, which means that we end up outside, standing outside of Cheesecake Factory on date night, and I'm just like, oh, God, please don't let anybody from South Bay drive by right now and ask what's wrong with my wife. And my selfishness, in that moment, put death into the relationship. It sowed death. It was like spraying this weed killer on that relationship. I think about my boys, and I'm sorry so many of my illustrations relate to being a husband and a father. It's just my context. But I think about my boys, and I know when I stand before God, 
first question he's going to ask me, according to the scriptures, what did I do with the message of Christ? Did I receive it? Next thing he's going to ask me is, what did I do with the life he gave to me, the stewardship of my life? And I think I'm going to have to come to account for a lot of the choices that I've made. And I've come to believe that 90% of that conversation between God and I is going to surround those 10 minutes right before my kids go to sleep. Because there is more that comes out of me in those moments than I am like to say from the stage. And I don't know about you, but those moments when it's like time to brush the teeth and they want a book and then they want PJs and they know what PJs they want, but then they put them on and then they want a different pair of PJs and then you can't just brush the teeth, but they want to brush it themselves and then you have to brush it and then they want to floss and they want to floss, then you floss. They want mouthwash. I mean, it it goes on and on and on. And, you know, it gets your anxiety and anger and frustration just continues to grow. At least mine does. And and I know that I could gently move the situation forward and redirect, but somehow, like these two fingers right here, I've realized that they're, they like fit perfectly around the trapezoid of both of my kids. (laughs) And I can like reach down and just kind of pinch a little bit and pinch a little bit harder And you know what I've noticed? It never solves the problem. It always gets worse anytime the fingers start coming out. I sow death, it results in brokenness. I sow selfishness, it makes the relationship go opposite the direction that God wants for it to go. But the flip side is good too. That there is this kind of miracle grow that we can throw onto our relationships for lack of better illustrations. I'm sorry it's not quite an organic illustration. But there is this sense in which we can sow into the relationships in our lives in a way that results in health, in a way that results in good communication, in a way that starts to mend the brokenness, in that which we can sow is the death to self the death of our selfish approach to life, laying down my goals, my interests, for the good of those around me. Here's what it might mean for you. Some of you who are single in the room, you have roommates. Instead of at the end of a meal saying, I'm going to go sit down on the couch, check my Facebook so that I can find out if Joe broke up with Susie, I'm going to go into the kitchen and start cleaning the dishes and serve those around me. Fathers, it might be the difference between you at the end of your work week when you've gotten pushed around by a boss instead of continuing to take project after project after project and going home late, late at night and neglecting your family. It might be having the courage to have that difficult conversation with a supervisor or an employer to say, I will work my tail off from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. But when that when it is time for me to go home, I have a wife or a husband and kids that I need to invest in. And to say, I'm going to draw this boundary and I'm going to even stand up when it is difficult to me for me to sow selflessness into the relationships that are most important 
It, it might mean for you that instead of walking into your place of work or with a family member or a cousin or a sibling, instead of making a decision to gossip about that person when they've harmed you, to go and to clear that relationship up and lay down your selfish interest. It, it might mean for some of you who are singles in the room and you, you'd rather go to bed with her or you'd rather go to bed with him because that's what feels good and that's what seems so right and so good but you realize that when you do that you step out of God's very best for your life and now you're sowing a bunch of harm and emotional baggage that you're going to have to either carry into marriage with you or the relationship's going to separate and that he or she is going to have to deal with and so now you're going to say I'm going to put her goals or his goals and interest above mine and I'm going to protect her purity I'm going to protect his purity and ultimately I'm going to live in a way that honors and pleases God in this area or this component of my life see here's what I think happens to us as it relates to selfishness and selflessness I think that most of the time when we think about selfishness, we think about the big, massive decisions in life. But really, the way to begin the healing process is to go into the small minutia of life. It's in decisions as small as when you're sitting across the table from a friend or from a spouse, instead of sitting there listening to them, thinking through all the things that you've got to get done, engaging mentally and saying, I'm with you, and listening to them. I think it's the difference for me with my boys. I've set up a system. Every Saturday, I spend boys club with them from 10 to 3.30 p.m., and it is so tempting for me to pull out my phone and to be on Twitter or Facebook and looking at stuff that has no relevance and to put that down and to say for this period of time when I'm with my boys, I'm not going to work. I'm going to engage them. And I wish I could say I was perfect on that. But in the middle of that, I can, can sense God saying, this is, this is an opportunity for you to lay down your rights to sow selflessness into this relationship. And, and what happens in the small minutia of life, in friendships, in family relationships, in marriages, at our place of work, that the quantitative effect begins to kick in when I am consistently putting the goals and interests of others above my goals and my interests. Now, some of you about this time are like, okay, is there a limit to this? I was on the airplane. I went out of town to this leadership event this week, and on the way back, I sat down next to this gal who had recently gone through a divorce and had two young kids, very similar to the phase of life as far as age as I am. And I was just sharing with her. I'm a pastor. I'm, we're doing a series on relationships. I'm talking about this, this Sunday. What do you think of this? And she said, I, I thought this was so brilliant. She said, I feel like my life is kind of like a puzzle. And I am just constantly giving pieces away until there's nothing left of me. And I don't even know who I am anymore. So where does, where does this end? I mean, do I just keep laying down my rights until there's nothing of me left? That's why the fifth week we're going to talk about strengthening boundaries. And that relationship will, or that message will be very important. But I want you to hear something today while we're on this subject because I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm saying. There is a part of you that is who God created you to be. Some of us in the room are more extroverted. Others are more introverted. So some of us who are introverted, we like to go up on the mountain by ourselves for three days and have a book and a journal, and we'd come back totally refreshed. Others of us who are extroverted will come back ready to kill ourselves. 
Some of you who are extroverted, you walk into a room, and when you get into the room, the party starts popping, and you're the life of the party. Others of you who are introverted, you walk into a large group room, and you're like, where's the corner? Can I get away from this mess? And you leave it, and you're completely exhausted. Some of you, you're compassionate and merciful. And when somebody comes to you with a problem, you feel it deeply and you love them. And you, you understand what they're walking through. Uh, others of you, you, maybe you're a little bit more like me. When somebody comes to you with a problem, you see it in black and white. You jump right to the solution. You tell them how to fix it. And sometimes it even gets you in trouble because of that. See, we're different. And in every strength, there also is an opportunity for weakness and selfishness. But even in the midst of that, those strengths that God has created you with, with your personality and your gifts and your talents, that when the component of us that is that selfish, arrogant, prideful self that has our eyes on our goals and our interests, when that begins to die, there is a person that emerges and there is a component of us that has to die in every single relationship. And when that part of us, that selfish part of us dies, then there is this beautiful relationship that emerges, whether it's marriage or friendship or familial relationships, that the path to healing The path to fruitfulness in our relationships is the death of self, but the path to destruction is our selfishness. And so my question is, what are you sowing? Identify the relationships in your life. Think through marriage if you're married, friendship with coworkers, maybe you're dating, a roommate, students with parents. Identify the relationships in your life and think back over the course of the last week, What have you sown into that relationship? Have you sown selfishness or have you sown selflessness? In Philippians chapter 2, there's this very powerful passage of scripture that I want us to conclude on today. The Apostle Paul is writing and he makes a statement. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. I don't like that verse, if I can be honest with you. Because it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. And I think about how often I feel or think selfishly. How often when I'm in a group of people and the meal is served, I'm looking, how can I get through the line the quickest? Or when somebody's talking to me, I'm fast forwarding them in my mind so that I can get on to my work. I hope it's okay if I'm a little bit raw with you about my own struggle with this because I, I think that in the middle of that, this is when God can begin to change us. That If we, we won't deal honestly with the junk that exists inside of us, there will never be the kind of healing and relationships that God wants us to have. And this verse says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. But also listen, look to the interest of others. And then the Apostle Paul moves on from the how to the why. And for the last few moments we have together, I want us just to focus on this for a second. Listen to what he says. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That the way that we relate to one another should be the way that he relates to us. And then he says, this is what it means. 
who being the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Think about this. For all eternity in the past, Jesus was seated with the Father and with the Holy Spirit in perfect communion, perfect harmony. Seated on a throne in heaven. And the scripture says that he emptied himself and came to live among us. Made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. He was found in the appearance as a man. And he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even to death on a cross. This is the way that we are to relate to one another. This is what it means to lay down our rights for the good of other people. But watch what he says in conclusion. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. This man, Jesus, came. His glorification was his death, his crucifixion, his hanging on a tree. But that wasn't the end of the message. That wasn't the end of the story. The the same one that laid down his rights so that we could be restored back to God conquered the grave. He he came out from the grave, and the scripture says that as he came out from the grave, he's exalted, he's lifted high, he's been given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That the death that came, that was impending in John chapter 12, was the path, it was the way that we could be restored back to God, that the slate can be wiped clean, that you can walk in here today with a past that you're ashamed of, with broken marriage, with adultery, with, with pornography, with drug addiction, maybe even it doesn't seem that big to you, it's just your selfishness or it's just your greed, that you can walk in here today and because of this truth, because of this message, you can have it all canceled. You can have the the debt wiped clean, the slate is clean, that you could stand before God and what he would see in you is not all the stuff you've done in the past, but who he is, his son's death, burial and resurrection, that the blood of Christ literally would become transferred to you and I so that we would stand before God and he would say, that's my child, I love her. He's restored to me, she's restored to me. The love that he has, scripture says, it knows no end, it's boundless, it's limitless. That this is the hope for all of humanity. But Paul is saying it doesn't stop there. This is the very essence, the core of the way that we rehabilitate the brokenness in our world. It's by laying down our rights, our goals, our interests, because he laid down his life, his goals, his interest for this great, big, grand purpose he had. That men and women from every nation, tribe, and tongue would know him. That's how we rehab.
the relationships in our lives. That's the foundation. Listen, one more time. Death to self, that's the beginning of revival and broken relationships. Selfishness is the quickest way to kill it. A marriage, a friendship, family relationship. But today he gave us a new path. He gave us a new way. He gave us a different way of relating to one another. And I think for so many of us, we're waiting for that person. We're waiting for him. We're waiting for her. We're waiting for our mom and our dad to tell us that they're sorry or that they messed up. And what God is wanting to say to you and to me today, no, you take the step. You take the step towards them because I took the step towards you. His love knows no end. And what he wants to do is fill you with that love and to begin to revitalize what's broken in our world and in our lives. Guys, could you imagine what would happen if we really embraced this truth? Like if I really, really, really did start to live with all my heart and my marriage and my relationships with my kids and in our communities and our places of work, what would happen if we started to be the ones that, no, you go first in the line. Let me listen to you and engage you in your struggle. Let me sacrifice and be courageous to protect my family and put boundaries in place with my work. What if husbands started sacrificing of themselves to a greater degree to provide for their families and, and mothers became more supportive of their children and their fathers? And what if singles began to protect their purity? And, and what if workers began to live with integrity and clear up relationships and instead of gossip went to the problem and, and sacrificed of themselves for the good of others, what could happen in our community if this truth of God was unleashed in our lives, that there could be all of this rehabilitation that would go beyond drug addiction. It would go beyond the divorces in our community. It, it would go beyond the brokenness in our society, that if this became the fabric of our lives, influencing every relationship that we have, there's no limit to what God could do and the healing that he could bring. Let's pray. All across the room today, there are people with broken relationships. Sometimes, some of you today, the pain goes so deep. I had a conversation with someone after the first service, an immediate conversation immediately welled up into tears. And sometimes that, that hurt is just underneath the surface and somebody just kind of pushes on it and it, it erupts inside of us. And what God is wanting to do today is to begin the process of healing. He doesn't want you to look at what they've done wrong to blame somebody else. He wants you to look at you today. And he wants you to say, this is where it got off track with me. And to go back to where it got off track and to begin to take out the root and put in a new paradigm to begin to sow these seeds, putting the goals and the interest of others above our own. Others of you in the room, you're not here merely to hear about relationships. Maybe you got a mailer or a friend invited you and you felt like you were coming for relationships, but you're here to hear about the fact that God loved you enough to come to planet Earth so that you could be in relationship with him. And all of your life has been leading to this one moment that you would stand before God and for the first time be confronted or maybe for the 10th or 12th time be confronted with this truth that he loves you and that you need him. Today, will you tell him? Will you just maybe for the first way, first time in your life, 
just in a simple way, tell them you need him. Tell them that you want to know him. Tell them that you want a relationship with him. The Bible says this stuff doesn't happen religiously. It's not like you can perform some sacrament or you can do some religious duty and you're right before God. It's a relationship. And the, the climb is so steep that God had to come down in order to bring us up. We can't get up on our own efforts. We can't pony up and try harder. It's by him coming to us. The Bible says two things, by grace, through faith. All of our righteous deeds would never cause us to remotely be able to measure up. But today, he's made a way. It's the way we've been talking about all day long. Him coming to earth, his death, burial, sacrifice, and then his resurrection. By grace, through faith. Today, I hope that you will receive his grace. If that's you, you want to put your faith in him for the first time, it's very simple. You need to acknowledge that you've blown it. There's mistakes in your past that you need to savor. Believe in him. Confess to him that you want him to be in control of your life. So if that's you, I want to invite you just to say a prayer that might go something like this. God, I acknowledge that you came to earth for me. I acknowledge that I've blown it and that I'm a sinner. I believe, Jesus, that you were crucified. I believe that you rose again from the dead. And today I confess you as the master of my life. I put you in control of my life. Just tell them from the bottom of your heart, you're in control. I give it to you. I give the reins of my life to you. You're in control of it. From the bottom of your heart, Scripture says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. It's not a prayer. It's a condition of your heart that results in relationship between you and God beginning, that you've crossed from death to life. You've placed your faith in him. If that's you, if you prayed that prayer, if you placed your faith in Christ today, you're making a decision to follow him all across the room with every eye closed and head bowed. Would you just lift your hand up in the air just as a way of saying, I put my faith in Christ today. I'm making a decision to follow him. I see you up here on the left, back there on the left, on the on the. The, uh, on the right side over here, I see your hand raise it high. Others of you say, today I want to place my faith in Christ. I'm making a decision to follow him in this moment. This is the beginning of a new life that I'm making a decision to place my faith in Christ. You may put your hands down. Others of you, I pray that God would give you the courage this week to put the goals and interests of others above your own. Father, thank you today for this truth that changes the way that we relate to one another. Uh, thank you that you're at work in our lives and we thank you that as we sow these seeds of selflessness, you're going to bring a harvest and healing. And I pray, God, for each person across the room that you would help us this week to know what to do, to identify those one to two relationships and the things that we can do with wisdom to begin to repair what has been broken. Thank you today for speaking to us. Thank you that you're here. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you initiated with us so that we would know you. And we give you praise and glory for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray.